I'm going to start this episode with an apology, uh, not about the content of this podcast, which sometimes I do that, but uh, but about that last podcast. So there was uh, a bit of a incident, I guess you would call it. So I started yesterday or last week's podcast. The spark of inspiration was Katrina Kibben. She had posted something or someone posted to her around her about her about this idea that um, you have to get people to feel something before you can do something. I thought that was an amazing idea. It was so well contained. It was like a spark and it led me to some good ideas, I thought. And that was my podcast. And then, of course, it turns out that the reason it led to such cool ideas was because I was trotting some fairly well-trod ground, as it were, and Katrina had blazed that trail ahead of me. I just didn't realize it. So uh, we had good response to last week's podcast, so I have to give a lot of credit to Katrina. I inadvertently um, grabbed a bunch of her ideas. I just didn't realize they were her ideas. I thought I was making them up as I went along. I was not. So she got there first, so there you go. Um, so Katrina, thank you, and I'm sorry. Uh, and by the way, if you don't read her weekly newsletter, Three Years Media Newsletter, you should. It's totally worth a read, totally worth a subscribe. Anyway, we're going to talk about habits, and I think it's interesting that this whole have to apologize thing is here because this idea that um, we all want to be good at our jobs, right? I, I'm just going to assume, I'm just going to assume, only two cups of coffee, by the way, I'm just going to assume that you really want to be really, really good at your job. And because I want to be really good at my job. I mean, I'm just going to assume that you that we share that in common. Otherwise, why on earth would you listen to podcasts like this? Uh, because you want to get better at your job and you want to hear a different perspective or a different idea and you want that to spark some new way of thinking and a new approach to doing things or just, oh, why hadn't I thought of that? Oh, wow, that's a great idea. I get those all the time. I hope I can give those to you all the time. But it's true that employer branding, which is what we are all talking about most of the time, is usually conceived of as an idea, a project, a product, a campaign, a thing we do, um, you know, whether you connect it to a channel, whether you connect it to an idea, it's like, oh, social media, that means employer brand, great. It's not those things. I mean, it is those things, but it's not really those things. Really, employer branding is a habit. That's what we're going to talk about today. And I bring it up and I connect it to the apology because one of my personal heroes, my one of four Mount Rushmore's, is Tom Peters. You've heard me talk about him, the old, the grumpiest old man who ever was, which is why I adore him, um, even though he occasionally yells at me on Twitter, which is kind of heartbreaking and delightful all at once. But that's the complicated relationship I have with Tom, I guess, if that such a word can be said, relationship. <laughs> I feel like he remembers my name. Um, but this idea that excellence is a habit, that every time you do something, when you choose to write that email, when you choose to set up that meeting, when you choose to start the meeting, when you choose to start a conversation, you don't hope that excellence happens down the road. You have to, you have to make it happen right now. Excellence happens because you choose to write a better email, because you choose to start to think through how you're going to start that meeting to ensure success, to think through what you want that person to understand as you walk away, to ensure that they have what they need to do the thing you wanted to do and they don't have to come back and say, wait, what did you mean by that? That excellence is about the day-to-day and actually the minute-by-minute things you do. The way you write an email, the way you go get a coffee and who you talk to, the fact that you have lunch with other people or don't have lunch with people, these are all means of creating excellence. It's not Excellence isn't something that happens. It's not like when you go to the gym and say, one day I'll be fit and that's when I'll be excellent. It's like, no, the fact that you're stepping on the treadmill or the fact that you're picking up the weight, that you do that excellently and that leads to its own excellence. It is its own reward that doing it right has value initially, but it also 
also suggests that if you do that repetitively, it becomes the thing itself, that it becomes the habit. And this is the world longest introduction to our podcast, by the way. But that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about habits. We're going to talk about how being able to say every opera, every issue in front of you, every challenge, every channel, every person is an opportunity for you to express what your employer brand is to whomever is in front of you. That it's not something you do one-off. It's not something you make as a 10% of your job title. It is something that you do all the time. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We'll be right back. Welcome to the Talent Cast, the world's most caffeinated employer brand and recruiting podcast. I'm your host, James Ellis. Thanks so much for listening. If this is your first time for joining in, we do things a little differently. We try and do deep dives. There's not a lot of interviews here. There's not a lot of news here. This is about how do we get smarter and better? And that means how do I get you smarter and better? How do I get you to think about these problems at a deeper level so that you can solve them and look like a genius to your boss? If this isn't the first time you've been here, thanks so much for returning. Feel free to share with your friends, your coworkers, your boss. I don't know. Uh, we really do appreciate that. All right, let's get into it. Hey, how you doing? James Ellis here. Uh, yeah, so you know, go to the websites, go sign up for the the email. I do occasionally. I try to keep it short, no spammy, blah blah blah. You can either go to thetalentcast.com or jamesellis.us. You know, either one. Because um, I would love to speak to you at your event. I would love for you to say, James, you know, you bring a lot of interesting ideas. You're really chill, low energy. Maybe I got a kid's birthday coming up, and I think James, you would be the guy to just entertain the heck out of the kids. I, I promise I will make balloon hats if that's what it takes. And juggle. I can. I am a deeply mediocre juggler. So there you go. Uh, no face paint. Anywho, go do that stuff. And like I said, go sign up for Katrina's thing. Uh, show notes, blah, blah, blah. So let's talk about habits. Habits happen not by accident. I think there's an interesting, there's a whole concept called neuro-linguistic programming. Um, Bandler and Grinder, who if you were... 50, 60s weirdos and nerds in the uh, psychology area you might know of. Uh, I only know of through complicated whatever. But they got, thought of this idea called neuro-linguistic programming, and that is you can actually convince people to do things if you understand how they're thinking and how they're processing information. In fact, you can insert ideas into their head. You can actually, they, they referred to it at the time in what have to be the ugliest covers in the world, magic, right? That you can actually persuade people to do things they wouldn't on the face of it or logically want to do via magic, and that's by using certain words in certain ways. One of the things they wanted to talk about, and I've actually forgot, lost my point here, uh, talking about habits. Oh, yeah, there's this idea that, uh, like, think of a phobia. Think of a phobia, and and they they, they actually have magical, hypnotical ways, and if you want to believe it, you can. You don't have to. It's fine. It's not pertinent to the rest of this conversation, but phobias start very quickly. It this idea that it takes us a long time to learn a habit. It takes us a long time to learn an idea. How long did it take you to be scared of heights? How long did it take you to be scared of a dog? How long did it take you to be scared of open spaces if you're agoraphobic? How long did that take? Probably not long at all. In fact, one exposure to a unpleasant moment of heights, an, un, an angry dog, maybe even getting uh, attacked or a semi-attacked by a dog, or you know, just whatever happens to agoraphobics that kind of spark that idea of, oh gosh, open space bad. Um, you learn that idea, that phobia in seconds. In fact, frankly, I bet your brain does it in milliseconds. You learn it effectively instantly, right? You learn that thing instantly. And then 
you build on that idea. You build on that spark and it becomes a habit very quickly. You become generally every time you see heights or you see a dog, your heart starts to beat and you start to get uh, a little nervous and anxious excuse me, and you, um, you know, you, you're, you start to panic, you start to freak out, and your body learns that, oh, that's how we're supposed to react. That is our reaction to these things. We've learned the habit of reacting X when Y happens, when you receive Y stimulus. Now, Bandler and Grinder are absolutely wackadoodle, um, but I think there's some interesting ideas in that as a guy who struggled a long time ago with height aversion, if that's what it's called. I was terrified of heights. Like if I look, if I could look down, buildings were fine, but if I could look down like a water slide, you know, you look through the deck, the slots, the slats of wood down through the water slides, panic. I mean, like near, you know, just meltdown panic. I couldn't do it. And I've gotten a lot better. I've gotten really good at actually pretty good. Um, so ladders and stuff don't bother me at all. So you realize that at some point you learn those things quickly and it becomes a habit almost instantly. Your body reinforces this idea of a habit. And I think we can learn from that. I can think we can learn from this idea of creating our own positive habits. Not phobias, but positive habits in the same way. And I think there's a lot our employer branding can learn from said habits. So first off, two chains. First off, employer brand is in fact a habit. We've talked about previously. It's in the DNA. It's not in the campaign. It's not in the tagline. It's the fact that you use that tagline over and over again and the fact that all the other things seem to support that tagline. So if your tagline is, we're all about innovation in whatever capacity and creative way you put that and frame that, which is better than I can because I'm not the creative copywriter in this room, um, whatever you say, if you say you're all about innovation and you force people to go through a 40-minute slog of an ATS process, guess who's not innovative? You can talk about innovation all you want. You can show all the innovation videos you want, but if it turns out your recruiter can't text, if it turns out you're using 1980s technology on your ATS, if it turns out that, you know, heck, let's go to fax machines. You really can't be about innovation if there's a fax number in your business card, right? It kind of undercuts the message. And the message is a series of exposures, so a series of exposures is effectively reading a habit, right? If I'm reading all these things and I get the same things over and over again, I'm going to suggest that you are always that thing, that in effect you've embraced that as a habit. If you're all about innovation, I see it everywhere, not some places, but everywhere. In the same way that if you go to a restaurant and you hear, say, you know, you say like, oh, I heard the food here is really good, and you go to the bathroom and it's freaking filthy, the quality of the bathroom in no way impacts the flavor of the food down the road but <laughs> seeing a filthy bathroom makes us go, I bet this isn't a clean kitchen. I bet this isn't a very dedicated or caring cook. I bet the chef kind of is phoning it in. Maybe the food won't taste it. And suddenly it's imparting an expectation or a perception upon the flavor of the food, which you know, by itself in a blind taste test may be amazing, but now that you've seen filthy filthy bathrooms and, you know, the waiters seem to be a little disheveled and don't seem to care that the silverware is a little dirty, you know, that's going to color your impression of the thing. If the habit of excellence was true, the bathrooms would be clean just as well as the waiters would be non-disheveled and clean and, and clean waiters and waitresses and clean cut and uniforms would be clean, that the, the knives would come out of the dishwasher and someone would look at them to make sure there's nothing on them, uh, then you would feel like, okay, the food that's coming out is also going to have the same level of concern and impact, right? That's how you create those bird's nest of perception. That's how you build it through the habit. So that's the other side of the bird's nest. The bird's nest is what you're absorbing. What you're projecting is the habit. There's the other side, okay? 
Gary V, who I don't quote very often, but I, somebody, he's a bit of a loudmouth. What, James, you have a problem with loudmouths? But you, yeah, we know, we know, no, we know I'm a loudmouth. We know that. There's no need to get into that. Um, but I get what he says, and someone someone I'm connected with pushed it, but this, this idea that the secret to marketing is caring. And I love that because we talked about the secret employer brand is giving a shit, right? Which is the same thing, same thing. He just, you know, says it nicer apparently, um, which is weird. <laughs> right? He's a guy who's vaguely famous for swearing about this stuff, and I'm the one yelling, whatever. But that's true. And the reason and how you know someone cares is because it's a habit. It's not that they care once. It's because they always seem to care. It's because they're always willing to show up. It's not in the one-time thing. It's the perpetual kind of thing. And you build these habits over time. So let's talk about a little bit of, okay, if, so let's go back into this idea that employer brand is a habit. Same way that you evaluate the food of a restaurant based on the rat bathrooms, even though there's no direct correlation, you are also, as a candidate, evaluating the brand of the company based on what the news says, based on what former employees complain about on Glassdoor, based on what the hiring man, how engaged the hiring manager is, not based on the video that somebody polished up into a diamond to give to someone and say, this is what we think we're about, but in about how much information around it reinforces that idea. If you're all about innovation, here's the way to show that you're about innovation. Don't say it more, show it. And you show it in the things that things that people don't think can be innovated. So this is, I'm stealing this from Charlotte Marshall, who I saw speak uh, last week in Austin. So, hey, Charlotte. Um, that this idea that she was interviewing somewhere and they said, and you, we, we all know that the interview process sucks. It's a pain in the ass. It's, it's filled with ho hopsicles and hurdles and blah, 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 blah. And that it's always painful. And what they, the, the, the company she was talking to, and I won't say whom, they said, okay, we definitely want, we're, we're scheduling the interview now. And this, you know it's going to happen on Monday. And hey, since I've got you on the phone, let's schedule the debrief phone call for four days after that. And the room she was talking to went, wait, what? You can do that? That's innovation. To say, we know that the waiting game of I don't know how long it's going to take for them to get back. And we've all been in that position where we think we just ace that interview and it takes like two weeks for them to get back and you just start going stark raving mad going, what did I do? Did I screw it up? And you, it's, you know, your head starts to spin wildly out of control. And if you knew that you would actually get an answer on such and such a date, not because the recruiter says we'll get back to you in a couple of days, which is the most bullshit answer, this side of it will take two weeks to fix that. Uh, you know, That's contractor speak, right? But if you say, we are scheduling a meeting and we are going to do a deep brief and we're probably going to give you the offer or not, or tell, you know, we'll do the offer stuff then. And you can say, okay, I know it's going to be X number of days for you to do that. And that says so much. It says this company who says they're all about innovation have in innovated a process that guarantees they'll have their ducks in a row enough to give me an answer in four days. They don't hope to give me an answer in four days. They've booked the time. They booked the meeting. It's there in my calendar. I can see it. It's a real thing. They are confident in their processes to know they will have their ducks in a row and have the offer or not in place, or the rejection, I guess, as it were, and the feedback from the hiring managers and the feedback and the interview loops and all that stuff, and enough to say, and we're going to book a time. That, my friends, is innovation. Not because they invented some sort of cool tool. Not because the AI did something magical. There is no blockchain in this process in any way, shape, or form. But what they did is they looked at a process, saw there was a pain point, and decided to innovate. 
They didn't spend a lot of money doing it. In fact, they spent exactly no money on this thing. They simply looked at a problem, solved a problem in a creative way to make people feel better because that's what they wanted to do. They cared which is what employer brand is, and what they care about is innovation. So you can see their level of innovation occurs in the most boring of recruiting practices, i.e. the response, the feedback. That's innovation. That's what you want. You say you care, but your bathrooms suck. If your website doesn't look like anybody read it once, if it looks like that you've never given back or you don't give time for people, what do you care about? If you say you're all about your mission, but you have five different missions, I don't understand. Which mission do you care about? Anything that breaks the habit, that deviates from this core idea that you've selected, that's not a habit. That's something you've painted on the walls, at least that's my perception of it, and said, this is who we are. What's the line from Usual Suspects? The atmosphere won't be just be painted on the walls, right? That's the thing you're supposed to do. When an employer brand is true deeper than the paint of the walls, it's deeper than the website, it's deeper than the campaign slogan, it's deeper than the hashtag, it is true in practice, which means everybody has to make it a habit, which means mostly you as the employer brander have to make it a habit and not think of it as a campaign. Right? So what your job is, is to say, once you've distilled what your brand is all about, what your EVP is all about, what your brand positioning and promise is all about, you look around and go, what breaks that promise? And you fix it. So far, so good? Fantastic. But if you can't get enough of this stuff, I have some news. You can bring the James Ellis experience to your event or company. Just go to jamesellis.us and learn about all the kinds of custom presentations I can build and deliver for you or your team. But if it's time to get some hands-on help with your employer branding, recruiting, and hiring, either from the ground up or some strategic support, I would love to help. Just reach out to Proactive Talent or ProactiveTalent.com. That's where I work, and we can help you hire better. Cool? Cool. All right, let's get back to it. Or at least you do your best to fix it, or mitigate against it, or defend against it, or start to build allies to rethink it, to say, look, when you invent, so think about how that company invented that feedback loop. Somebody said, look, people get freaked out and we're having a time issue, right? Everybody knows, every recruiter knows that if you, that speed, lack of speed kills. If you dawdle, the candidate poof, gone someplace else. But if you can nail them down, and if you can say, look, this is the date in which you will get information, candidates feel better. They have a more positive response to what's going on. They're more willing to engage with you. They're more willing, so for example, if Charlotte had another offer on the table and they said, we'll get back to you some point, and she didn't know, as new offers come in, she starts to discount the one where it's supposed to come in, but they didn't give her a date because it's amorphous, because it's not scheduled, because she doesn't know that it's real. She doesn't even know when she's going to get it, let alone if she's going to get it. So that kind of innovation starts because a recruiter says, we see the problem. We see the problem of time. We see the problem of uncertainty. We see the problem of every good candidate we talk to. And by the way, this company talks to a lot of good candidates. Um, we know that they have, they have options and they can go other places. And if we can't give them the sense that we're innovating at every single level, they won't buy what we do and they walk away. And a recruiter saw the problem or a recruiting leader or an ops person or whoever saw the problem and said, what if we do this? And what if it solves this problem? Now, the thought process that says, I see a problem and I'm gonna try and solve that problem, even though, it may, even though I'm only potentially solving it for me, and then having it spread out to the other recruiting teams, 
that's a habit. That is a habit on the recruiting side. That to say that is the habit of excellence. To say if if this is our employer brand, the means of communicating out isn't a one-time thing. It's a million times thing. So we have to become the habit of promoting and communicating that particular part of the message in every single touch point, in every single experience, in every single means of exposure. And in this case, I see a way to align the feedback loop with our position. And they decided to do it. And it turns out eating their own dog food really is positive, right? That's a habit you need to embrace. When you think about and you look around your company, you think, how do I support my employer brand? The answer is not, let's come up with a new campaign for pride. Let's come up with a new campaign for Women's History Month. Let's come up with a, a new campaign for Latino History Month. Let's come up with a new, let's, no. The concept of let's come up with should be your red flag. I guarantee that in 99.999999% of all the companies who listen to me, you don't need to come up with something. You need to find the thing. It already exists. It's sitting around you. In fact, there's so many touch points and experience opportunities your candidate is using to learn about your employer brand. Many of them are cutting you off at the knees. Go fix them. Fix one. Don't come up with a new project. Don't glue another band-aid on top of the problem go in and fix the problem if the concern is you're all about a mission you don't come up with a new way to communicate the mission you go and find a way that you're already communicating to candidates in a way that isn't mission driven and find a way to insert mission driven thinking into it and maybe it's just changing a few words and maybe it's just changing the timing or the process around you which you deliver that message and it might just be a tiny 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 incremental, subtle, to the point of everybody goes, why was this a big deal? And you're like, well, it wasn't, but it was because it does impact the, you know, the broader scope. In the same way that swatting a fly before it comes into the restaurant isn't a big deal and no one should get a raise for it, but if you let the fly in and it lands in somebody's soup and it ruins a meal and that meal belongs to a critic, guess what? You've deeply undercut your message of this is an amazing kitchen and we do things ex exceptionally. Yeah, no one believes that. And now there's a critic with a, with a megaphone who's going to tell the world what they found. There's a fly in my soup. And if you want to do that with a Grover voice like I do in my head, because there's a whole great skit from Sesame Street because I have a four-year-old, uh, go nuts. Feel free. Um, there you go. So that excellence is a habit, and that habit suggests how do I look for problems to fix. In the same way that we fix those phobias, the habits that ne those negative habits that built around fear that now reinforce themselves, what you do is you say, okay, this is an opportunity for me to face that fear and I'm going to breathe through it. I'm going to know that I'm about to go meet a dog and it's a small dog and, it's, and I know logically it's completely safe and I'm just going to slowly expose myself to more dogs and build that habit of being more comfortable with dogs to the point where I'm not panicking at the sound of a dog barking, right? You've got a phobia about dogs, that's what happens. You hear the dog barking and your whole body tenses and you're like, oh God, dogs. And your body panics and you start to ramp up. You start to expose yourself to the thing that triggers it in very safe ways. If you're scared of heights, you go up two or three stories in a building that's completely secure and you look out the window and you get closer and closer to the closed window and you don't have any chance of ever falling and you just look and you go, okay, just breathe through it. You know you're about to be exposed to heights. Calm down, talk yourself through it, and you build the habit of building out calmness in those environments, in those circumstances. 
In the same way, when you're faced with an employer brand situation, hey, we've decided we need to relaunch a referral program. Hey, we've decided we have a big event over at Grace Hopper. Hey, we need to fix some of these glass door issues. Hey, whatever the hell. You don't launch a new campaign. What you do is you say, what can we change today in our existing processes, i.e. habit, to reflect more of the central pillar or pillars or however you've structured your architecture of employer brand. That's up to you. I have a way I do it. That's not how you do it necessarily. That's cool. But how do you make minor changes in processes to reinforce the brand and meet the existing project needs? So if you've got a glass door problem, if suddenly everybody in Sacramento is complaining about your company and how everybody who works there is a jerk or whatever they're talking about, yes, the project will be to try and figure out what the problem is. Hopefully your company's smart enough to say, I'm guessing you've got a bad manager you need to get rid of or, or kind of rip out the core of the problem. But your job isn't just to say, hey, everybody, can you say really nice things about us on Glassdoor? Because Glassdoor gets mad about that. Um, because you're not just saying good things to get the rating, but to say, look, we're all about how much we support the people on our team. People are starting to get the message that we don't support our team by people leaving the team who are not good fits. Why were they not good fits? Because we did a mass cattle call of anybody who could spell the word work and said, great, you're hired. We just need you to pick up the phone and dial for dollars and make this thing happen. We thought we could train people and we were just desperate to fill seats to, to meet our, 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 our requisite load, right? Turns out a lot of these people were not suited for the kind of support we want, that they actually either wanted to go and blaze their own trail or be their own boss, and somebody promised them that, even though that's not how we're structured. Or it turns out that they're not willing to put the work in, that we support people who do the work, and they just say, oh, this place sucks. People are starting to hear that message. So I would like you to talk about a time in this company in which you felt supported, because our message is about how this company supports its workers. When you're giving a review, good, bad, or in the middle, because you can't tell them to give a good review, talk about how we support. And then at the other side of it, you're going to leave responses that reference how much you're trying to support people, but it's really about people who are willing to do work, who are willing to follow a process, and we understand if it wasn't what you expected, and we're very sorry about that, but we do actually support our people. And you're going to find a copywriter to write that better than I just said it. You're not making huge changes. You're writing an email to everybody in the, Scotts, or in the uh, Sacramento office and saying, please let, leave a review and to talk about these support things. Since you may be in charge of writing re responses to reviews, all you have to do is make a minor changes to what you're referring to. And yet somehow, not only have you solved the problem or about to solve the problem, you've also reinforced closer towards the, you know, the, uh, the pillar of your brand. That's a habit. It's something you think about every day. It's something you do every day. It's something every time you write an email to someone who isn't your direct supervisor or direct report, you remember that you're trying to talk about that pill. You're trying. If you're a company that says you're all about support, your signature should say, I should say something like, how can I support you today? Again, copyright it far better than I just did because that's spur of the moment. But right, everything is about the habit of how do we say, how do we reinforce this idea of people seeing our brand about support or innovation or whatever the hell. That's the habit you need to be reinforcing. And it doesn't happen because you up and decide to launch a campaign. It happens because tomorrow morning or later this morning when you walk into work, 
you do it with the very first email you write. And you do it with the very first conversation you have while you're getting coffee. And you do it the very next time you launch a meeting. How you kick off that meeting and how you drive and align people to be talking about a problem in the lens of your employer brand and brand pillars. Again, if you're all about support and you're trying to solve a problem, you don't solve a problem to make money. You solve the problem to drive the sense of support. That's what makes you different from other parts of the business. Because you know as more people think support and think your company, people who love to be in supportive environments will move heaven and earth to apply for your jobs. And suddenly recruiters' jobs are better, which of course makes you a hero, right? That's the gig. That's the job. That's what we talk about. That's, at least that's how I approach my job. Um, you may be slightly different. And frankly, I'm in a position now where I'm not in a day-to-day -day, um, owning in a brand. I'm consulting. But I still want to approach how do I take a brand that I've packaged and developed? How do I make sure that I'm planting it in a space that it's going to take root? How do I ensure that the idea that your company is all about support or all about innovation or all about whatever is not just this thing I decided it was based on my research and audits and all that good stuff, but because it connects with who this company is. And I've got a lot of people inside the company who remember that habit of saying, okay, everything is about support or innovation or whatever it is. That's my part of the job. That's how I perceive it because I'm in a slightly different role potentially than you are. But you can do it because you own it. Or you can do it because you're a recruiter and you want to say, look, these things we're doing do not align to our employer brand. So maybe either we make some adjustments or we pull back the stick a little bit to kind of stop from, from, from doing them quite so much until we figure out how to align them better. That's the employer brand as a habit thinking. That's what I think you can do. That's the way you make a huge impact in your job, in your company, in your department immediately without having to just up and decide to be a whole different person. The change is possible. It starts not because you're going to go lose 50 pounds. You're going to go you know, bulk up 10 pounds of muscle. It's not because you're going to get a six-pack ab in a year or so. It's because today you decided to step on the treadmill. Today you decided to go to the gym. Today you decided to walk around the parking lot. Today you decided to park farther away so you can get more steps in. Whatever that is, it's a habit. Create the habit. That's what you should be focusing on. All right. Thanks so much for listening. Love that you're leaving reviews. Love that you're doing that stuff. So I would appreciate more if you haven't done so yet. Um, otherwise, have a great week and I will talk to you next week. By the way, I'm going to be at Sherm Talent Monday and Tuesday. So the day this is published and the day after that. So if you see me, say hello. Find me. I want to be friends with you, I guess. You know, I don't know you, but maybe you're probably delightful. I'm sure you're delightful. In fact, guess what? You're delightful. Thanks so much for listening. I will talk to you later or next week or whenever and uh, bye. Well, the music means you've made it to the end of another episode of the Talent Cast. If this was useful to you, do not keep it a secret. Share it with your team. Share it with your boss. Share it with your networks. I don't know. Share it with your mom. Uh, if you have questions you'd like me to answer on a future show or just, you know, general ideas about how to make this thing better, just ping me on Twitter. You know, I'm at the War for Talent. At the War for Talent. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. 
I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We We out. out.